Welcome to the Winu K Pod. We hope you are blessed and inspired by what we have in store for you. Good morning. It's wonderful that we can gather again online and worship God this morning. We are still in our series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we've spoken so far about love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. And I hope that we are not only uh, learning new things, uh, perhaps about the fruit of the Spirit, but I'm hoping that we are also uh, seeking and asking, asking God to develop this fruit, this character of Jesus Christ, more and more in our lives. Today we are going to talk about goodness. And the passage that I've chosen Uh, for us today, one of the passages is Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 to 10. Let us read Galatians 6, 7 to 10. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Goodness seems to be a hard fruit to define. And I think the reason why, if we were asked for a definition of what goodness is, we would struggle, um, is because goodness is such a generic term today. We often use it to describe things that aren't bad, but aren't very good or aren't great as well. So if you were to cook a meal today, for example, and invited your friends over, and after uh, they finished their meal, they would tell you the meal was good, would you think they really liked it? Perhaps you would think if they really liked it, they would have used words like terrific or great. It was such a great meal. It was such a terrific meal. So when Paul speaks about goodness here, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, goodness, we might think that it is not a very weighty fruit. It is not a very significant fruit. Compared to the other fruit that we have learned about, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, um, and the last two we will talk about in, in the next weeks, but if you look at the other fruit, it seems that they are so much more significant. Even self-control seems to be more interesting and weighty than goodness. But it would be a big mistake to dismiss goodness and to think that it is less significant than the other fruit or to think that it is not important. What does goodness mean? And I want us today to look at a few uh, scriptures that uh, that talk about the goodness of God um, and then later on we will... Um, also think about how we can do good deeds in our own life. But before that, um, let's just very quickly think about what is the meaning of goodness. The term that the Apostle Paul uses is agatosune, and he uses that in Galatians chapter 5, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and he uses the same term again in Galatians chapter 6, the passage we have read just now. Agatosune. In Greek, um, agatosune means an active desire, or it is an active desire 
um, to, to meet the needs of people. It is an active desire, and we could say an active desire, first of all, to recognize the needs that people have, and then to generously meet those needs. Agatosune, a desire to recognize and to meet the needs of other people. A desire, really, for the happiness of others. You can't be good to people if you don't desire for them to be happy. It is to generously then, after you had the desire, you recognized the needs of people, it is then the activity, the actual um, doing of whatever it takes to meet the needs of others um, without expecting anything in return. So goodness has that aspect to it that you do good, you help people, you meet their needs, you want them to be happy without necessarily or without expecting anything in return. If we think about that then, and if we realize that goodness is more than just the things that we do, um, the, the statement here by Edwin Chaplin, I think, is very helpful. Goodness, he says, consists not just in the outward things we do, but in the inward thing we are. And I think what he tries to say here is that it is very difficult to really do something that is truly good if we don't have that inward disposition, that attitude um, towards others that, that makes us want for others to succeed in life, for others to flourish in life. So before goodness is an action, it has to be an inward attitude, first of all, an inner disposition. Before it becomes an action, it is a disposition that we have in our heart, a disposition to meet the needs of people around us, whatever those needs are, be it emotional or spiritual or physical needs that we see around us. Now, if you think about that then, if it is more than just the good things that we do occasionally, but it is a good attitude, a, an attitude of wanting to bless people, then we also realize that goodness is actually quite difficult for us uh, human beings. And it is really a fruit of the Spirit. It has to be a fruit of the Spirit because it is something that God gives us, something that God puts in our lives. Naturally speaking, we tend to be concerned about our own problems, about our own plans only. That is our natural disposition. Our natural disposition is not to look after the needs of other people first and not to meet them, especially without expecting anything in return. Naturally speaking, we are only good to our neighbors if they are good to us. We greet them if they greet us. We are considerate if they are considerate towards us. Naturally speaking, we are only good to those who are close to us, maybe, like our family and friends. Naturally speaking, we are only good to those who make us feel good about ourselves, to those who can do something for us in return. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to grow in us the fruit of the Spirit, to genuinely develop an interest and happiness in the well-being of people around us, not just our family, not just our friends, regardless of whether those people can do anything good in return or not. So that is then what goodness is. It's an active desire to recognize and to meet the needs of people around us. It is more, more than just an attitude, um, because it involves the actual activity, um, the actual doing of good things. But it is also an attitude. It requires an attitude for something, uh, for, for a good deed to be truly good. It has to be motivated by that 
interest for the well-being of people around us. Now, for us to uh, truly understand how weighty uh, this fruit of goodness is, we must look at what the Bible says about the goodness of God. And that is the next point uh, for us today, the goodness of God. And the first thing really to, uh, to note here is that the Bible is full of affirmations um, about the goodness of God. And again, because goodness and being good has become such a generic term for us today, uh, we might oftentimes not even pay attention to how often the Bible talks about God being good. In fact, in our opening psalm, I'm not sure if you noted, but in our opening psalm, uh, the psalmist said, said, the Lord is forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to him. Um, the psalm talks about the goodness of God. And you see that in many other psalms in the Bible, especially in the psalms, they do talk so much about the goodness of God. And I like Psalm 119, verse 68 in particular, that declares, you are good, and all you do is good. Unlike us, God is always good. All that God does is good. This is such a wonderful statement uh, to remember, such a wonderful uh, promise and wonderful verse. You are good, God is good, and all you do is good. All that God does is good. To say that God is good is to say what we have been saying before about goodness, that he always desires what is good for us and for all of his creation. He desires for us to flourish. He desires to bless us. He always desires what is good for us. All that God does is good. And in his goodness, God is without fault and without limit. God is without fault because he never makes a mistake. In his goodness, in his desire to bless us, God never makes a, makes a mistake. He never makes a bad decision. All that he does is good. And if you were to compare that with the way we are as parents and the way earthly fathers are, oftentimes as uh, human fathers or human parents, we, we discipline our children out of anger and we might spoil them and give them things out of our laziness. We discipline them out of anger and we spoil them out of our laziness. Yet that is not how God is like. His blessings are good and his discipline is also always good. His blessings are good and his discipline is good. In all that he does, God is good. Whether we recognize it or not, whether we see it right away or not, all that God does is good. That is what the Bible says. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. That is a, a way we sometimes, I remember, especially in Dubai, used to start our services with that, with that um, statement and reply from the congregation, God is good. And all the time, God is good. But although I like that statement, perhaps we, we could expand it with one more thing. Because Psalm 145 verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. When we say that God is good, all the time and all the time God is good. Oftentimes the mistake we could make is to think that God is good only to us who have gathered um, on a Sunday to worship him. But what the psalmist also says in Psalm 145 verse 9 is that God is good to all people. Not only is God good all the time, but God is good to all people. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. The goodness of God is without limit. Our goodness has limits. 
We are good but only to those who are close to us. We are good but only to those who can return our goodness. The goodness of God is without limits. He's not only good to those who have chosen to put their trust in Jesus Christ, to those who gather on a Sunday morning like us today to worship Him, but Psalm 145 says that the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that He has made. His compassion and His goodness reaches to all people. God is good, and His goodness is without fault and without limit. His goodness also encompasses every other attribute of God. His goodness encompasses and it, it, it really qualifies every other attribute of God. In His love, God is good. In His justice, God is good. In His grace, God is good. In disciplining us, God is good. God is good in all other attributes. Every attribute of God reflects the goodness of God within His character. And every action of God reflects His goodness as well. There's no command in the Bible. There's no instruction in the Bible that does not have as a motivation the goodness of God for us. There's no command in the Bible that God has given us that is not motivated by His desire to see us flourish. There's no command that is not motivated by the goodness of God because His goodness is all encompassing. It, it includes every other attribute of God. There's nothing that God does that is not intended for our good. You are good and all you do is good, the psalmist says. All that God does is good. Everything that God has given is good. Every gift comes from God, our good Father. The goodness of God is uh, the goodness of God encompasses all other attributes of God and all actions of God. That is what it means when we say that God is good. And lastly, even when bad things happen in our lives, even when bad things happen, God can overrule that evil to bring about good results. God's goodness, you could say, is so powerful that it can overrule even the evil things that happen to us, even the evil situations that we might find ourselves in. Even when bad things happen, God can overrule that evil to bring about good results. And we see that in the example of Joseph and his brothers. And I don't have to retell the story of Joseph. We are well familiar with it, the way he was uh, sold by his brothers into slavery, uh, the suffering he endured in Egypt. And uh, we have at the last... Um, the last part of that drama, um, if you want, the last act of the drama is the uh, reuniting of, of Joseph with his brothers in Egypt. And then at the very end, we also read in Genesis that just before uh, Joseph was about to die, some of his brothers were afraid that uh, maybe uh, he will take revenge on them. Um, and he meets with them again, and he reviews his life, and he says um, the following thing, which is really remarkable. He says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, and the Hebrew uh, here literally says, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many families. You intended it for evil, but God turned it around into something good. The goodness of God is so powerful that even the bad things, the evil things that people intend to happen to us, God is able to overrule that um, and to turn that into something good. And we see that in the life 
of Joseph and Peter later on reflecting on the death um, of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion of Jesus in one of his sermons in Acts says the same thing to the people. He says that, yes, you killed him and that was really evil. What you did was wrong. And yet God was able to bring something good out of the death of Jesus Christ. He was able to bring out salvation um, for many people because of the death of Jesus. Something that was intended for evil or intended by evil, um, God was able to turn around into something good and a blessing to many people. We see that God is able to do that. The goodness of God is revealed to us all throughout Scripture. And Jesus Christ, when he came and when he taught, he continued to teach people and help people understand just how good God is. And the story that stands out for me when we think about the goodness of God a story that Jesus told, the parable of Jesus, is the parable of the good vineyard owner. Parable found in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. It's a story that reveals the goodness of God and it tells us that because God is good intrinsically, that is his character, that is who God is. Even when we don't deserve goodness, God gives us goodness. And when he gives us goodness, he gives us more than what we deserve. It's a wonderful story, and I'm not going to read it in full, but in the story, uh, the owner of the vineyard goes out to hire men to work in his vineyard. And he goes out in the morning and hires uh, some. He goes out after a few hours and hires some more. And he does it all throughout the day until he goes out in the evening, just an hour before uh, the shift ends or the work ends for the day. And for the last hour, he hires a few more workers. Now, after the work is done and uh, the people come to him for their pay, uh, they're surprised that he pays everyone equally. So he gives the one denarius that he promised to, to the people he hired in the morning and he gives everyone else who was hired later during the day the same pay. How would you have reacted if you were somebody who was hired maybe um, in the morning? What we read in Matthew chapter 20 in the parable that Jesus told here is that the people who were hired first complain. They complain and they come to him and say that that is unfair. You should not pay us the same because we work more than the others. And the reply of the owner is this. I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And the word that Jesus uses here for generous is the same word that the Apostle Paul uses for goodness. So you could translate that with goodness, are you envious because I am good? But the translators use generous because that is the goodness that is referred to here, that God gives us more than what we deserve. Are you envious because I am generous? It was not the man's fault, the men who were hired last, that they were hired so late. And yet they had the same needs as the men who were hired first. They also had to feed their family. They also had to buy uh, dinner for their families. And this is why Jesus Christ says that um, if I have given them the same amount, I am not being unfair. And he says, I'm not unfair because I'm not giving you less than what I have promised you. But in my fairness, I am also generous. In my fairness, I am also good. 
because goodness encompasses all other attributes of God. In his fairness, God is good. God is generous. He gives us oftentimes more than what we deserve. And it's a wonderful story that, that really illustrates how good and how generous God is and how undeserving we are. But it's also a story that somehow illustrates that just like the workers who are complaining, sometimes we are complaining that God is generous to people who don't deserve the goodness of God. That we also can't understand really and accept the goodness of God in full because we are not good. And that leads me to our next point, our second point, which is a, a tension that we see in the Bible regarding goodness. There's a tension that we see in the Bible regarding goodness. Because what prompts this parable, what prompts this story of the generous uh, owner of the vineyard is an earlier encounter that Jesus Christ has with the rich young ruler. Another story we are familiar with. A, a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 at the end of that chapter and he says, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? So the uh, rich young ruler comes, and this is the question that he poses to Jesus. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now, you would expect Jesus to go on and to reveal maybe uh, secrets about the kingdom or maybe to tell him how to be born again. But instead, Jesus rejects the very question itself. He rejects the question and he replies to him in verse 19, Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. Jesus Christ, in his reply, he rejects that question and he replies that there's, there's only one who is good. And in a way, he, he says that, how, how dare you even think that you can produce good things, good deeds, do good things. Because there's only one who is good. There's only one who is good. And, and to think that just by helping someone or smiling at someone, you are, you are being good, is to misunderstand the high standard of the goodness of God. There's only one who is good, Jesus replies. Jesus points people to God when they come to him asking about good deeds. He points them to God, the true source of our goodness, of the good deeds that God wants us to produce. And that is important, and we could spend more time looking at chapter 19, because what we see, of course, um, is that he has the encounter with the rich young ruler. He tells the parable of the good vineyard owner, which illustrates the goodness of God. And then he goes on to talk about his death on the cross, the way we can become good as well, the way we can produce works that are somehow acceptable to God. Not because of our goodness, because there's no intrinsic goodness in us, but because of good things, good works that arise out of our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus points people to God. And he says, don't dare to think and believe that you can do good things on your own because God is the only source of goodness. So there's a tension that reveals that we are not good naturally, the source of all goodness is God, who gives us goodness by His Spirit. The Apostle Paul and others later on would continue to talk about it and would say things like, There is no one righteous, not, not one. That's Romans chapter 3, verse 10. The Apostle Paul says there is no one who is good. And that is after he reviews the record of the Gentiles in, in chapter 2 and of the Jews. 
And he says that, no, not, none of you is good. The Gentiles aren't good. And the Jews are also not good to produce good deeds, even, uh, even with having the benefit of the law, he says in chapter 2. There's no one righteous, not one. Our effort to be good apart from God does not amount to anything of value before God. He says, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of good works, so that no one may boast. We are saved, not because of our good works. Our good works do not impress God. We are saved by grace. And then in, in verse 10, he goes on and he, he then says, we were created by God and we were given new life in Jesus Christ to walk in the good works that God has prepared for us. Yes, God wants us to do good. And that is the tension here. God wants us to do good, but we cannot do good on our own because God is the, the only source of all goodness. So we need God. We need Jesus Christ. We need Jesus to change our hearts. We need Jesus to produce his life in us by his spirit so that we can do good things that are acceptable to God. And if that is the case, if all goodness comes from God and without God, we cannot produce anything that is truly good, motivated by a desire, a genuine desire to see people flourish as well, not just our family, not just our friends, then the good deeds that we do in the world the people who are not close to us become very important because they are a sign to the world that God has given us, that we have received life that is not normal, life that is supernatural, a love that people have not seen anywhere else. And this is why goodness is a missional fruit, you could say. Goodness is a missional fruit. It is a fruit that when it is produced in us, it can draw people to God. And that is what Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, when he says in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We cannot produce good deeds on our own, but when we produce them with the help of the Holy Spirit, they will shine like a bright light to people around us, because it is so unnatural to see people blessed, to see people desire. To, to see others flourish, others who are not close to them. The good news of Jesus, we could say here, the good news of Jesus has to be accompanied by good deeds. They have to be accompanied by good deeds of believers. The, the, two, thing, the two things must go hand in hand together. The good news of Jesus and the good deeds of believers. And that is really what shines brightly in the world. It is not enough just for us to proclaim the good news without the good deeds that in a way um, show the evidence that the good news is really good. God can really change us. God can transform us. God can fill us with his love. The good deeds manifested in our lives are to become a point of contact for others to encounter a good God. And later on, Paul and Peter would say the same thing. In Titus chapter 2, verse 10, um, Paul says, The teaching about God, our Savior, is made attractive by our good deeds. The teaching of Jesus Christ, our Savior, about God, our Savior, is made attractive by our good deeds. And Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. 
It is the same, the same message here, that our good deeds are important. Our good deeds are a sign. So goodness is a missional fruit. They show, it shows the world that there is a good God, a good God who can change people, who can help us be truly good as well. And that leads us to our last point. We are called to do good as well. And the passage that we have read from the beginning um, helps us to understand how we can live lives um, that glorify God and how we can do good in the different situations and the different circumstances of life. In verse 10 we read, Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. That is Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Having looked at goodness in the Bible and at what Jesus Christ said about the importance of good deeds, it's not surprising to see the Apostle Paul reaffirm here and say that that is what the Christian life is all about. It is about doing those good deeds to all people. Yes, it starts in the church, but it goes out and it continues in all of our life, in our everyday life. We are called to do uh, good deeds to people around us, to, to recognize the needs that people have. To not ignore them, but to recognize them, and then to actively respond, to, to respond generously to the needs that we see. And the challenge then really for us is, um, in obeying this call uh, here, is to, to really be alert to the opportunities that we have to, to do good to people around us. To be alert and to, to seize those opportunities and to not see them as interruptions or inconveniences. And I, I realized that for myself last night, we, uh, we had our hiking fellowship yesterday, we went hiking for three hours, it was, uh, it was quite tiring, and I came, I came home uh, in the afternoon, and the plan was to, to study a bit and then uh, go, go to bed early, wake up early to record this message. And I was about to, to go to sleep when I received a message um, on my phone reminding me of a meeting that I had planned to have together with Ning and a, uh, a couple uh, from, from, outside, from outside the UK, something we had planned uh, to do that evening. And we, we planned it uh, quite late because of the time difference. And I, I had totally forgotten about it. Um, and I, I, have to, I have to admit that uh, the first thought that crossed my mind was uh, could I could I cancel that meeting because I was I was tired and I I knew I had to go to bed early to wake up early to record the message, but then the second thought I had uh, was about how how ironic it all was. I was about to cancel a meeting um, where I was um, uh, supposed to, to to help and to listen to to a couple to do good in effect, and I was supposed to do that to cancel that uh, because I was preparing to. Uh, to speak on goodness the next day, and I, I, I realized how, how wrong that was. Uh, but I, it, it also illustrated, and it, it made me realize how, how possible that is, that God prepares good works for us. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, God prepares those opportunities for, for us to really live according to our calling, to help people to do good. Um, and yet we could easily, even in the context of ministry, we could see those opportunities as an interruption, as a disruption to our own plans. Well, the Apostle Paul says that is the plan. That is the plan. More than anything else, the plan is for you to do good things, 
That is the plan that God has for our lives. That is what, what makes the church the church. We are called to do those good deeds. The church is not, first of all, about meetings and programs. It is about us living out our life, living our goodness, living it out before people, blessing people around us. Our programs and activities and our services are only a means to equip us for the good deeds that God has prepared for us to do during the week. There's no point focusing on what we do on Sundays if you are not prepared to do those good deeds during the week. That is what our calling is, the Apostle Paul says. So those opportunities, we should not see them as interruptions, but realize that that is the very essence, that is the very point of why God has saved us. Doing good then inside and outside the church. Yes, it starts inside the church, the Apostle Paul says. It starts inside the church because if you have not practiced forgiving and being kind and, and, and being good to people within the church, people who are supposed to be close to you, then it's impossible to think that you'll be able to do that um, before people who, who you are not even close to. So it starts in the church because that is our training ground. We won't be able to do good works in the world if we haven't practiced doing them within our own family and within the church. Goodness begins at home and then it, it continues in the home and in the church and then it goes out into the entire world. And that is what the ancient pagans found so impressive about the early Christians. It is their, their willingness to do good to all people. And we read about it a few weeks ago at the start of the pandemic when we saw how in the first centuries during the pandemics uh, that, that happened uh, back then, uh, Christians left such a, uh, a huge impression on, on pagans around them because while people were fleeing the towns affected by the, by the pandemics, um, Christians would stay there, not only to care for their own sick, but to care also for, for, for the sick family members of the pagans who had left the towns already. Goodness that is shown to all people. Goodness that glorifies God. Could the lack of good deeds be the reason why the church has such a mixed reputation today? Could it be that we as Christians don't do enough of the good deeds that God has prepared for us? And by ignoring the needs of people around us, we as a church have a mixed reputation today and people could be maybe looking at, at us and saying, well, they're not any different to people, uh, to other people in society because they only do good to those who can return that uh, to them or they only do good to people who belong to their community or their family. Doing good to all people. Jesus says, if you only love your, 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 your brother, if you only love your family, well, how are you different to anyone else? Because that's what everyone, what everyone does. He goes on and he says, well, love your enemy. Uh, that is what will point people to God. That is the love that God enables us to have, the, the goodness that God uh, produces in us by his Spirit. And lastly, in uh, verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let us not become weary in doing good. Yes, the Apostle Paul acknowledges that doing good demands many sacrifices. Doing good oftentimes is not easy. Binding your heart up to somebody who is struggling will mean that you will also experience that emotional 
roller coaster oftentimes that you will also experience distress and sorrow. Um, it, it, is, it, is, it is something that requires sacrifice. Uh, spending your, your free time, especially nowadays when there are so many options, so many different things you could be doing, spending your free time helping others, again, will oftentimes be a real sacrifice. Using the money that you have, using the money that you have to help people who are in need, or using it um, in, in giving to other causes, giving to the church, who, who helps people, again, that won't be easy. That won't be easy because it, is, it, it requires a, a real sacrifice. The Apostle Paul says, do not become weary in doing, good, in, in doing good because he acknowledges that doing good oftentimes is not easy. It requires a sacrifice. The costs are many, but the rewards, the Apostle Paul says, are even greater. The value of the harvest is always greater than the value of the seeds that you plant. The value of the hundreds of apples that grow out of an apple seed is much greater, immensely greater than the value of that one seed. What are the rewards that we reap? Well, first of all, it's the satisfaction of, of seeing lives being changed. That is a great harvest. It is a wonderful harvest to see that uh, lives are, are being changed, that people are being blessed. It is the harvest of seeing entire families and entire communities are being changed as well. Entire communities becoming uh, better, better places to live. Entire communities being changed because of the good deeds that the church and that Christians together uh, can do in a community. That is a great harvest. And lastly, there's oftentimes an even deeper harvest. A harvest that cannot be seen uh, by outward success. It is the harvest that happens in our own hearts. The harvest of a changed character. The harvest of a changed heart. The, the, the harvest of a, of a clear conscience that comes from, from resisting the temptation uh, to live life only for ourselves. To be self-indulgent, to be self-absorbed in the way we live our lives. What a great harvest for us to reap. There will be a harvest, the Apostle Paul says. Your labor is not in vain. Your good deeds are not in vain. Yes, it is hard work oftentimes, but do not give up because that is your calling. That is your calling. And this is why um, he, he puts this at the end of the letter to the Galatians after he speaks about all that Jesus Christ has done, the salvation that we have in Jesus and the fruit that the Spirit produces in us. In this last chapter, he says, well, it's all building up to this. It's really all about this. That is why God has saved you. That is your calling now, to do those good deeds that point people to a good, to a good God. That is our calling. That is why God has saved us. And I hope that as a church, we recognize that. And maybe this time of... Um, of not being able to gather in person could be quite helpful because it means that we cannot define ourselves by what we do on Sundays, coming together um, and, and having the activities that we regularly have. It has been a time now for us these past weeks and months, a time when we realize that maybe what God wants more from us, even in future, is to be more defined by our work, by the good deeds that we do in the community the good deeds that we do during the week. And I hope that that is how we see um, this pandemic, that yes, there is a, a, a lot of suffering because of it, but there is something good that God has produced as well 
and is continuing to produce in us as a church. So there is a refocus on the calling that God has for our lives to do the good deeds that he has prepared for us. Let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for your goodness. We thank you because we know that all that you do is good. And we thank you because you are good to all people. And Father, this morning we want to Lord, for the times when we have not recognized your goodness, the times maybe when we have taken your goodness for granted. Father, you alone are the source of all goodness. You alone, Father, are good. And we thank you that by your grace you are producing your goodness in us as well. We thank you that by your Spirit you are producing the fruit of goodness in our hearts. So, Father, we pray that you may help us to do good works arising from our faith in Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to reflect the good news, Lord, through the good deeds that we do um, in our daily lives. Father, we also pray that the good works that we do will give glory to you alone, that people, Lord, will come to know that you are a living, a good God. And Father, we pray that when there are times when we become weary and tired of doing good. Father, we pray that you remind us of your goodness, that you remind us of how good you have been to us, that we come back to the cross and we see your goodness revealed to us in Jesus Christ. We see it in our atonement that has been achieved on the cross. We see it in our guilt that has been removed, in the punishment that has been taken away, and we see it in the heaven that has been opened for us and all the spiritual blessings that you have poured out into our lives because you are good and all you do is good. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We love you and we give you all glory and praise. Amen. Thanks for joining us, everybody. If you'd like to know more about anything you've heard in this session or want to connect with our community, Find us on Facebook by searching Word International Ministries UK or visit our website www.wordinternationalministries.org.uk Hope you're all staying safe and we'll see you again soon.